0: as as I begin my own spiritual journey, I want to hear from those who have taken this path before me. This podcast focuses on them and listening to their stories uninterrupted. My name is Hiba Masood and I invite you to reflect on the trajectories of their lives and the guidance and blessings provided by Allah along that journey. Sheikh Abdullah Anik Misra prefaced his interview by saying he had nothing great to share. But as you'll soon see, he has a heartwarming and inspiring story. He was born and raised Hindu. At the age of 18, he took his Shahada and entered Islam. At the time, he was a student at the University of Toronto and it was a combination of meeting his future wife, his circle of friends, and reading books like Islam in Focus that led him to explore Islam and convert. After finishing his undergrad and unexpectedly being invited to perform the Hajj, he knew deep down that what he really wanted was to study sacred knowledge. So he embarked on a journey to Tharim Yemen, or as he calls it, the Desert of Love, to learn Arabic. He then went on to study the Islamic sciences, as well as spirituality, with Sheikh Nukeller in Jordan. After 12 years there, he traveled to Trinidad and studied the books of Hadith at Dara al-Ulum and is currently in their Iftah program. His story has many lessons for converts and aspiring students of knowledge about the intellectual and emotional journey through the theme.
1: I was born and raised in Toronto, in North York to be exact, and then and spent my formative years in Markham in Ontario, Canada, and I grew up in a moderately practicing Hindu household. My parents are from North India, Lucknow. We grew up going to temple. I, I, grew, up, I grew up spending my summers there, um, uh, learning religious teachings, but not so not not they were they weren't um they weren't that practicing but i did have an understanding about my identity mm-hmm. our, our our my uh cultural identity was stronger definitely mm-hmm. stronger and um yeah that's how we grew up learn and uh, learn about different faiths and different people because i had a diverse set of friends
0: um so i know you converted um when you were 18 at uft can you um can kind you of talk about like what that process was like how did you learn about islam and what kind of attracted you to it
1: yeah. So th- there's always uh, different versions to the story <laughs> and the story develops as I grow older and I look back and realize what I was, what I was going through. You don't, actually re- you don't actually realize until you start learning how to read your past mm. and how to read uh, and realize that um, there are many factors in conversion um, and not just the ones that you like to tell people and not just the ones that look good in a dawah video um because we often think it's completely and uh it, because we we kind of you know we, we aggrandize the uh intellect we always think uh, many times i've seen that we'll always talk about the intellectual journey to islam and everybody has an intellectual journey to islam but there are a lot of emotional factors social factors um you know as you're growing up as a, as a teenager that helped to shape how you, how you become like, you know, more favorable to a certain idea. And so I did grow up around a lot of different people of different faiths. I didn't find uh, at the time that Islam was very um, unique, or you could say I didn't find that it uh, very palatable, mostly because of the negative impressions that I had of Islam uh, from the media and um, just through you know, our cultural identity um kind of didn't look at muslims in, t- in a very favorable light in terms of religiously i didn't understand a lot of the rules um you know they're, they're, they often caricature a lot of the rules about islam so i had to g- i grew up in that environment to be frank and honest and um as i even though i had muslim friends i don't i didn't feel that they either they weren't practicing very much and they were doing the same things i was doing as a as a teenager growing up um or they were they weren't able to articulate and identify why uh, they did those things. And finally, lastly, they, were, they, they didn't seem, um, they didn't seem as, uh, as integrated into things mm-hmm. as um, some people, uh, you know, people from other faiths. So they, they were, there was a lot that was stacked, you know, it, it not in favor against my uh, seeing Islam favorably. Um, in university, I was able to uh, diversify my friends group a little bit, my, my, my set of friends. And I, you know, for, for many reasons, I became a little bit disillusioned with my, with the crowd, even though I'm Canadian, born Canadian, as many people who are children of immigrants um, to the West, they, you tend to congregate around people of your own ethnicity um, many times. And so then uh, I felt though, that I wanted to branch out a little bit. I didn't, I didn't like some of the, um, some of the limiting mentalities that I felt some of my, you know, people from my own cultural background had, uh, you know, nothing to say bad against them. It's just I felt that at that, that age, I wanted to, I wanted to you, know, uh, di- you know, kind of diversify. Mm-hmm. So I did make friends from different backgrounds and cultures. And um, that's where I, I was able to come in contact with uh, Muslims from a different part of the world. And I felt that um, their culture of way they, how they express Islam was a bit more, was more, it was unique, more moderate, more, um, more relaxed, easygoing. And so, uh, that's how that's how I kind of first got in t- in touch with got in touch with that. And then I decided to look into Islam uh, from through that, uh, not not as a way, not necessarily to convert or anything like that, but in order to uh, explore more what Islam was saying on a real level. And that's what started my journey in first year at uh, University of Toronto in 2001, or 2000 actually. That was 2000.
0: Um, and like, what? How did you actually make the decision to take your shahadah? I think it was the same year as 9/11, right? Like, does that complicate things?
1: Yeah. So uh, that was the. It was. It was six months before 9/11. Thank God. I always say alhamdulillah that I took my shahadah before that, uh, you know, tragic event. Because I'm not sure what I would have thought after that if I if I had had to take shahadah after that event. So my my shahadah pre my becoming Muslim. Bef- it had nothing to do with you know. I didn't. I wasn't encumbered by political realities, um, by too much media. You know, I just had basically a bad impression of Muslims, like that I had inherited culturally, but it didn't. It didn't. Uh, you know, because of the history of, of India and stuff like that. Um, but I didn't uh, necessarily have anything to contend with in society. So that, that that actually that made it much much easier for me to be able to look into Islam in an unbiased way and uh and then and then kind of like dabble with it um and i sort of took my shahada without intending to i had researched to a point where i had researched to a point where i i felt uh i needed to get a more practical look at what islam is like when practiced and i had a few friends who i was speaking to um i was reading uh i was reading some books particularly um there was one book by Harun yahya uh, at the time, um, evolution, deceit. I, I, was, in, I was a first-year life sciences, biology, you know, student. And so I, um, I, found, that, I found that the idea of religion and science um, was quite appealing to look into, even though I don't, looking back at the book, it's not necessarily, um, you, know, uh, you know, at the highest level of expressing scientific uh, information, but it was just the idea of engaging religion and engaging science, challenging a narrative, um, you know, earlier, um, you know, in the Hindu tradition as well, they have the uh, idea of the Vedas speaking about uh, science. Um, so I, I, that kind of opened me up a little bit. And then as well, looking at the brotherhood of Muslims, um, looking at how they shared things with each other looking at how they were so kind of, it seemed to me, united, you know, alhamdulillah. And I still do think there's a lot of unity um, in the greater purpose and the identity where, you know, people of different um, ethnicities are greeting each other with the same greeting. alaikum. salamu alaykum, they're they're praying together. That's very odd because um, you don't have, you you don't usually have that amongst different ethnicities anywhere else or any other religion um, that is as big um, as Islam. I used to go frequent different, um, religious gatherings as well. Uh, church or something, you know, I've been to many different types of religious gatherings. So I was kind of religiously surfing around. And, um, when I got into looking at Islam, I remember it was, um, um, I remember I was, I wanted to make uh, a, you know, we used to have something called Napster back in the, I don't know if they do still, where you download songs, you burn songs and um, I, I made a bunch of CDs and the guy who would like burn those songs and rip them, rip them and, and make the CDs was a Muslim guy from high, I knew from high school. <laughs> and he had, a, he had a book called Islam and Focus uh, by Hamouda abdul on on the, on the wall. And I said, Hey, can I, can I borrow this? As we were like, you know, burning um you know rock and hip-hop songs and rap songs onto cds and that's where boring the book i was just a reader on my own i was a bookworm and so i read it on my own and then um, i went to different events around campus um so like you know when it came time for ramadan it was like all right i'm having a burger in the middle of the day and it's like (laughs) you know, you're hanging around some Muslims, aren't you going to fast? It's like, uh, okay. <laughs> so just out of embarrassment, I just kind of like probably like pseudo-fasted. And um, and then once it, there was a, a dinner, uh, Eid dinner. Oh, that was the Eid dinner, yeah. Back then Ramadan was in, in, in December and uh, there was an Eid dinner and I remember they asked me, they, everyone's buying the ticket to get into the Eid dinner at, at school. And when they found out, oh, here's this brown guy, okay, buy a ticket. When somebody whispered to him, this guy's not Muslim they immediately stopped and they said, oh, you can go in without paying. <laughs> so I oh. said, come on. He said, hey, you don't have to pay a ticket. Please, you know, please go. So I felt that was, that was very nice of them to do. I was like, oh, that's very nice. And um, when I went in, uh, I heard Nadir Khan, who was the, oh, he was one of the exec of the MNP. You know, was pre- this
0: at UFT? Yeah, UFT,
1: yeah. wow. UFT. Yeah, and so Nadir Khan was the, was, was a previous exec, I think from, uh, he had graduated by that time. <laughs> And uh, and then once there was Islamic Awareness Week, and I was walking through it, and um, I was uh, I heard this beautiful voice singing a song called Why Are the Drums So Silent, and I looked so it was it was it was David Warnsby. I didn't know who he was at the time, but uh, he was you know he was kind of uh, local enough to be just you know singing in the middle of the our meeting place called the atrium um, on campus, and um, people just walking by listening to. him. So I stood there and listened to him too. So that Islamic Awareness Week was very nice uh, as a time for me to kind of expand my knowledge about a religion that I had never really looked into. And then as I, as I decided to grow more in my, my reading, it was kind of very very uh, personal. It wasn't, it wasn't done uh, in conjunction with anyone else, or I just decided to look into it on my own. So uh, you know, when all that culminated in a type of curiosity in me that I one day just said you know, it was after exams first year, and i said you know i'm just going to go and go to a mosque drive up to a mosque it was nighttime it was maybe nine ten o'clock and i'm going to see what what's there and uh I w- there was a mosque that was being built in our area it was very it was kind of very new and i went in and i didn't realize uh, of course that uh, it was Aisha in in the summer in toronto so it went on very late and so i walked in and um and i heard uh the imam say allahu akbar and immediately i got very scared because uh, somewhere in the back of my head i associated that with uh with um, something negative and so I got kind of scared like what where have I walked into what, I, what am I doing so I walked into this room it was nice green beautiful big room with you know green carpets people standing in a line someone told me someone came behind me saw me hesitating so they so they said just sit down and wait for the imam so I did that and um and I guess I blended in because I'm 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 brown so people probably thought I was one of the one of the one of the gang so uh, you know, so I, I didn't have any, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't. I wasn't made to feel awkward or anything like that. And then, um, I sat down, the Imam came with a smiling face, Alhamdulillah, and we talked about Islam into the night. And, um, you know, and, and right there, I, I asked him, well, how does somebody become Muslim? And he, he immediately said, say this. And I said it after him. And I knew that I was like, okay, well, he didn't ask me, Hey, well, do you want to say this? He, he didn't say, this is how you do it. He just said, say this. And so, I, and so my heart was open by that time. Mm-hmm. And my, my questions were more to kind of like ask somebody to take my hand and bring me in. And so then that's how I um, took my shahada that night. And um, the rest comes history. <laughs> Never looked back
0: Beautiful story. <clears throat> um, what were some of the struggles that you had um, after you took your shahada? Was it difficult to tell your, your parents, your family?
1: And so six months later... Uh, two or three months after 9-11 actually we um i remember so alhamdulillah I was by that time my identity had kind of uh, i was i knew why i was muslim and, and the events on in the media didn't really shake it my faith alhamdulillah by allah's grace and then um and then we got married and that was a, so i got married when i was 18 that was a move that uh it was a very tough move at, at the time because you know there were it was it, it it was very difficult for my parents my conversion first my marriage and then the fact that i um dropped out of um, pre-med, you know, uh, out of life sciences. I don't know which one was worse. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm pretty maybe I, um, and then, uh, yeah, seriously, because I was trained to be a doctor. I was pretty much born to be a doctor. And, um, and that was, that was uh, 2001. And then, uh, yeah, the, the good thing about being married was that it saved me from a lot of the things that you would, co- that you would come across in university. Uh, in some ways, you know, uh, you're we're still young, though. No? And uh, and then it also let me move out on my own very early, so I did have I did have struggles in the beginning, uh, you know, uh, as a convert. And then also at the time, especially, you know, in that those early two thousands, um, the Muslim community was a lot, uh, you know, very much into like debate and polemics, you know, the idea of like debating against the Christians, debating against the Hindus, debating against atheists. So so there was a lot of that style of like you have to get on a pedestal and tell people why you became Muslim and you know don't let us down. You know, cheer us on and, and everybody, because you're in university, everybody worships the mind. So you have to tell people, basically there's that pressure, like give us a story, you know, give us a really moving tale. And so you actually put to the back of your mind how you really became the and the types of vulnerabilities and human situations that brought you to that. And then you, you begin to almost make it a journey of your intellect alone, which is, which is when I grew older, 15, 20 years later, I said, no, that's not, that's not true to how it was. And then I realized that seeing that so many people are going through the same issue that I went through Mm. as a, as a teenager. Then I said, Mm. wait a second, why am I, I mean, it's not something that, you know, the uncles want to (laughs) hear on, you know, you know, uh, but at the same time, it's like, it's the it's reality. And Mm. it it helps people, you know, it helps people know that there's the light at the end of the tunnel, uh, you know, that that there are different situations. It's not all, it's not any, anybody who thinks that it's purely an intellectual journey. I, I think that they're not, i think that they're not looking they're not looking at how vulnerable a human being is and, mm-hmm. and the different factors that influence them doesn't mean it's going to be any less legitimate or any less right but there's a difference between dawa you know you know talking about it to convince other people through your journey and then just being honest and saying we're well, allah allah met you at at whatever point you were at and took you to the to, to him you know mm-hmm. thing is because the thing is it's it's still a big debate i haven't come public with that mm-hmm. i think i just mentioned it in a class last week um, uh, is a, just because there's always a stigma and, yeah, I, and because I'm brown and because I'm brown, it's, it's like you know, you, you know, have this kind of misimpression that like, oh, you know everybody else can just talk about what they did or I was a gangster or, I, you know, whatever the person's in the drugs or whatever and I've always been very clean like generally clean so mm-hmm. this is something that, um, you know uh, and we always look down on growing up and then the uncles don't appreciate it so you learn to, prof- this is unfortunate you learn to perform your Islam in the beginning years because you become a trophy and people want to hear from you that you uh, did certain things, uh, you know, that you, that you have a certain story that you're ready to perform it as soon as you get a mic. And that's very dangerous for a convert Mm -hmm. to get the mic in their face when they're young. And um, then there's the idea of, of the performance of piety where you start to dress a certain way and you start to, you know, do, do less well in school. And, um, you know, everybody will, would love for you to, you know, be in the mosque, you know, you know, for days on end, but for their own children in the community, they, they probably wouldn't want that. So you, you realize as well, how, how much of an imbalance there is, um, in the, in convert care, you know, uh, and how much of a temptation there is to just kind of like kind of become hyper-religious in a very short amount of time. And so that takes time to reprocess and resettle after some years
0: do, do you think that like hurt you being kind of forced into that like space and and that environment
1: no in fact it helped me it helped <laughs> me a I? lot yeah so the thing is that it, it didn't hurt, it what it did is hurt my relationships mm-hmm. it really hurt my relationships with other people because you become unknown like unrecognizable within a short period of time within like a few years yeah. You're just completely somebody different, so your friend, your your relationships, your with your friends are getting resorted out. Your relationship with your parents, they're like, who are you? You know, and um, and uh, that is the problem that uh, you when you focus on that. But in terms of securing your own religious identity, uh, I found that that really helped because you build up these walls from negative influences, and you uh, you're, you're you're very much supported by the community around you when you are when you are visibly. A practicing convert. Um, there's a lot of support that goes into that. Like that, that, you know, a lot of people to mentor you, a lot of um, uh, positive vibes. At least for me, because I was already brown, so I, I, I didn't have, I didn't feel like I had any stigma. In fact, it was it was different. You know, I, uh, and I understand that not everybody goes through that because I've been involved in convert organ- a convert organization uh, in Toronto. So I realized that not everybody had that experience. Um, but it was for me, it was overwhelmingly positive. And when I look back, it was the relationships that I look back and say, oh, man, I wish I didn't do that. And now I'm trying to repair that. But otherwise, for me personally, um, the, only, the only thing I would say is that um, you begin to tend, you begin to, I mean, there's, everything turns out positive. You realize that Allah took you on a journey because that was good for you at that time. Even when there are things that may not have been that positive, it was a protection for you. And it was a guidance. Mm-hmm. That's, what I, that's what I think. That's what eventually led to me. Uh, Allah led me to... Finishing my my studies and uh, at university, and that too, you know, was uh, at the advice of Sheikh Hamza Yusuf. He probably doesn't remember that today, but um, you know, you're ready as a convert to just you know, you know, go full time. You know, become a professional Muslim. Is what I what I call it. What's your job? It's like, I just being Muslim is my job. I have to go to the mosque. I have to put on i'tir. I have to dress in a turban. I have to do that kind of stuff. So you, when you realize, oh, okay, you don't have to be a professional Muslim, you know, to be a Muslim because your identity now settles you don't feel like you have to wear it on your sleeve in order to you know if you take off your 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 soap you're not gonna you're not gonna take off your smile that takes a while to, to settle in um
0: so like fairly early off after you took your shahada you you decided to go and study like how did you decide to do that and um how did you choose yeah. where to study
1: okay so the thing that i uh what happened was when i as i was getting into my university education um, you know, my, the luster of the university education kind of seemed to dim because I started getting more and more interested in, in, in Deen and, and religious studies. So, you know, I would say the biggest influence at the time was Sheikh Hamza Yusuf, especially post nine eleven. you know, it's like the entire Muslim community, you know, kind of like, uh, was sitting on his shoulders, you know, yeah. uh, and, uh, you know, it, it still a lot more confidence in, you know, in many young Muslims and stuff like that. So this idea of studies and going abroad, that was already there. We started studying Arabic sometime in the mid-2000s uh, at a local program in, in Toronto. And then, um, and then I remember I, 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 Sheikh Hamza had come for one event or another, and uh, I kind of presented myself to him, and I asked him, like, what do you, what I, what do you think about... Um, I want to come to study in uh, in Zaytuna. I had a does different than Zaytuna now? And uh, he said, no, don't don't come, don't don't come now. He goes, finish your university education, and, um, and 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 you know after that, you know we'll see. Don't go, don't go, don't go study <laughs> right now. I said, okay. He said, memorize the, memorize the Quran, like memorize some of the Quran after Fajr every day. I remember. It. Anyways, there's another other advice that he gave me uh, that I found very useful and uh, and then i did finish my university studies eventually and that's when i got into a job my first actual like job after graduating i uh, got chosen to go for hajj uh, miraculously alhamdulillah for free as a guest of, um, of the saudi prince and uh, without any money in debt you know newly graduated it was a convert program and uh, you know i just kind of like got selected and within you know almost 24 hours 48 hours through, like, jumping all kinds of hoops that I could not have jumped through without a lot of help, I found myself in, in, um, in Mecca and uh, on Hajj and not knowing what to do at all. I'm just like looking at a guidebook to guide me through everything. Um, and there I am in front of the Kaaba. And it was there that I, you know, um, was exposed to the idea of like religious scholarship and stuff like that. Um, and that's where I, when I left there, I, decide, I, I decided I want to study Islam as my you could say my calling. And when I went back, I um, made that clear to my employer. And within, within a few months, I was out to um, think about where to study Arabic. And at the time, um, there was a very good program uh, in Dar al-Mustafa in Tarim in Yemen called the Badr Language Institute. And it was, uh, it was a perfect ideal environment for, you know, a young couple to go out and, and study. So that was about five years after I took my shahada, And... Uh, we, uh, we found ourselves, you know, in a world of events um, out in uh, Dar al-Mustafa in Tarim, And that's where we started our Arabic studies.
0: Beautiful. Um, so just to backtrack, you said you were kind of exposed to the idea of religious scholarship um, while you were at Hajj. Like, what, what happened or what did you see there?
1: So I, I, I just, um, I was with a friend uh, there at Hajj. another another uh, kind of convert friend. Um, uh, and uh, we were out in, in Mecca, and um, he knew a scholar that was that was there, a Canadian um, scholar who's also a convert and had been living there for like you know some decades, and uh, that's where I uh, got exposed to the idea of okay, wow, you know a person who becomes Muslim can go to the Muslim world, spend many years, and uh, and uh, become a scholar, and um, and that was that was what first you know that's what, where I first got this idea of like kind of serious scholarship uh, as an inspiration. Mm-hmm. And then when I came back uh, to Toronto, um, I also was, you know, the, the, back in those days they had uh Sunni path and Sheikh Raz was involved in that and they had a Hanafi digest. So I would ask him some questions. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so then, you know, I, I had some, some, uh, influences. I think my first contact with him was maybe 2005, 2006. And, um, Although I didn't, I didn't meet him personally, but, uh, you know, it was, it was inspiring to see, you know, Muslims promoting knowledge, Muslims from the West, uh, mm-hmm. because that was just coming up. Otherwise, there, weren't, there wasn't that much Western scholarship uh, as much as there is now. Now, there's a, a lot of people who are scholars in the West. But back then, you still relied a lot on scholars from other countries, you know, in, 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 and stuff like that. So um, that's how I kind of got into the whole idea of studying, seeking knowledge.
0: So. Um... Okay, so you're in the Mustafa, uh, you're studying Arabic. Um, how do you, so I know you, you've studied in Dream, you studied in Amman, and then you ended up in, in Trinidad, like how did all of that unfold?
1: So when we went to Tarim, it's amazing, <laughs> there's so many amazing stories that I can't even, I don't have time to share them, or even, you know, I have, I have to dig back through my memories because I haven't recorded this. I don't think I've talked about this either in this way, but um, in 2005, we went to Tarim, um, and we started language school. We started studying some Fiqh on the side, and um, after it was a great experience. It, you know, we somebody called it the desert of love. It certainly is. My mentality was quite closed to the idea of Islamic spirituality at the time. I was quite uh, more into like the literalist type—not literalist, but more the kind of hard. Sciences of Islam you know Aqida theology and, mm-hmm. and and really into fiqh and stuff like that and but there was a side of me that had always um my, 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 my Hindu upbringing was a spiritual one and uh, and my venture into Christianity as well for a brief time was on a spiritual basis so mm-hmm. when I came into Islam um, I, I realized that they some people didn't seem to be promoting the idea of spirituality and love mm-hmm. as much as um, as uh, praxis, you know, in terms of ritual and in terms of, um, you know, theology, uh, speculative theology, especially, you know, uh, and so I was more in debate so that I was when I became exposed to this idea of loving the Prophet sallam, and <clears throat> the idea of spirituality in Islam that was in Tarim for the first time, but very, I was very resistant to it. And uh, slowly I began to explore it and, and you know, poke the you know, kind of like kick the tires a little bit then i realized wow islam is has different dimensions to it and it was a, a very big relief for me um especially because as well i had a background in music i was a guitar player i was a tabla player singer from my from my my days pre-islam and i had i had thought that that was um, uh, all you know i mean I, I i didn't engage in it for all that time and then i see this in harim that's a very spiritual very <clears throat> you know a lot of a lot of um singing um you know, uh, odes to Allah and uh, in praise of the Prophet ﷺ was mm-hmm. a very loving environment. So that kind of opened my, opened my heart up quite a bit. <clears throat> and um, however, I had to, within six months, I had to leave. And, um, <clears throat> and because we were expecting our first child, alhamdulillah. And uh, so I, 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 I left kicking and screaming. Very, very beautiful place. And um, that's when I had to, we came to the West Indies in Trinidad, where my wife is from. And uh, because we, it was like a maternity leave. And at the same time I decided to enroll in the local Darla loom here. So I, w- I started in the sixth year because I had done studies before. They put me into the sixth year out of eight years here. And um, <clears throat> I spent one year here. I uh, <clears throat> I was involved in a lot of Dawa and uh, uh, had a TV show here, um, local TV show on like a kind of self-help type of TV show. And um, <clears throat> But that's also a problem because I don't think students should be um, should be focusing on on speaking and public uh, public engagement. <clears throat> so um, it was good for me as well when I felt okay, you know, I gotta go. After a year, I said I gotta go, and um, I I asked around, you know, where is there to study? Continue studying Arabic, and <clears throat> I felt that Tarim for me to return to. Uh, I felt I wanted a different experience, and so uh, Sheikh Faraz then recommended Pasht, and that's how I. Sent my, my resume out to Qasid because I couldn't afford to study uh, in, in a place like Jordan. And I said, I'm here. You know, I have a wife and a young child. I'd like to work study. Do you have anything to work study? And they say, okay, young graduate. Yeah, sure, we're, we're expanding. And so why don't you come on board? So I studied and worked, um, you know, at the same time. Finished there, And then I went to Jordan. That's how I got to Jordan. And uh, I, I'm still working for Qasid 13 years later. Um, and uh, alhamdulillah, I lived in Jordan for 12 years. And so that's how I got there, then I studied, and um I was uh introduced to my spiritual guide over there as well, uh Shaikh and um on the side, there were many different teachers teaching um fiqh and 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 uh sirah and all kinds of different subjects and that's what I was engaged in um you know basically doing doing that and working at the Arabic Institute for the past twelve years so Masley if
0: teachers pretty much seems like all over the world. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, some of the teachers that had the greatest impact on you?
1: Yes. So in terms of the, uh, in terms of the teachers that had the greatest impact on me, definitely my, uh, my sheikh, the Sheikh nu Keller, um, he had the single greatest um, impact on me uh, in terms of um, just learning how to, how to see all aspects of the deen in a holistic manner, along with what's going on in the world um today in every single area whether it's you know whether it's health whether it's um, um psychology politics whatever it, it, it kind of brought everything together and then give a higher perspective of um first character and uh, and how one should behave and be and then and then um and then and then spirituality beyond that so that that, that was the most um the most uh, profound i think uh, influence on me and um, other than that, in terms of like um, the actual sciences and studying, um, I would say Sheikh Faraz Rabbani had a had um, a great influence on uh, guiding me to to you know in terms of like what to study, who to study with, um, because we never we never uh, caught each other in in uh, Jordan, and so we didn't actually get to spend much time together at all, or see each other. Uh, you know, I, I just kept in touch with him by a distance once in a while, I'll go back to Toronto and sit with him. But there was a lot of in the early years, especially. Um, I took a lot of advice in terms of how to pursue um, the sciences on a, on a detailed level, and then after that as well. Um, uh, Sheikh Ashraf Munib, who's um, our my, one of my main uh, teachers in Fiqh back in, um, in Jordan, he had a big impact on me in terms of how I saw him um, balance, um, you know, worldly considerations in light of uh, traditional thick uh, text and and how you how you kind of how you get out of the text and into the context I found that that was um, that was very helpful and and uh, as well how you balance this idea of um, how how your how piety plays out in in, uh, in actualizing your knowledge I felt, I felt that was a, that was a something that um, was a great influence upon me and there were, there are just many 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 teachers that had that um, that have had different impacts on me I think it's, I've been to many different places. <clears throat> In the middle, I went to uh, to Egypt as well, briefly, you know, back and forth. So it's, it's, it, there, there's been a many, many people who have come into my life and uh, done that. And like I said, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf was the, was the initial kind of um, you know person that you look up to and you think, wow, I want to be like that. Um, but I, we don't, I don't, I've never studied from him or, or had contact with him, uh, you know, extensively. So yeah. but Hamza, those are the people
0: um And so, so how do you land back in the Caribbean after being in Jordan for so long, and, and what was it like leaving?
1: <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so it's twelve years in Jordan. I had no plan to move, no desire to move. <laughs> I was just like totally happy taking it day by day. Um, we were, you know, living in a in, in a in a very very nice community and uh, had very <clears throat> very strong friendships. And um, you know, had, I balanced my professional work life. Uh, and and my study and teaching life so i i was teaching you know uh, since for a couple of years back in jordan too and um so it was a nice balance then all of a sudden um my wife was expecting and um it was you know it was uh she was expecting twins and so we needed help at that point we're like it was just and the doctors over there in jordan said you know what this is this might be a complicated case you gotta you gotta go back to you really should go go somewhere else because this is not the place to be for this case so we ended up that's how we had to within a month we had to pack up everything all my stuff is still in jordan all my books are still in jordan um and we said where are we going to go we're going to go to canada okay let's go to canada so we all moved to canada on a very short notice it was so fast that we couldn't even realize that we were leaving our home of 12 years we're still processing that now and um and but alhamdulillah, you know everything happens for a surpassing wisdom Alhamdulillah, everything turned out okay with the the babies alhamdulillah, by allah's grace and so it was like it was like we went all we we went you know somewhere else and everything was fine then you realize that Allah had a, had a better plan. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to Canada first. Then I realized Canada is not, it's not easy with a, with a big family to, to just pop into Canada, mm-hmm. um, you know, and just kind of land in Canada and just stay. So we decided, okay, you know what, we need some help. So um, in-laws are often the best people to do that. My, my wife's parents, so they graciously have hosted us here for the past year as we kind of, you know, re, 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 uh, assess certain things. And while I was here, I wanted to, uh, I had left the Darloom Dars-Nizami program to study kind of on a more chamois Syrian, you know, Jordanian method in Jordan. A lot of my teachers had studied um, from teachers in or directly or uh, from teachers in Syria. Um, so that tradition was what I was used to for the past 12 years, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I had not been exposed back to the, um, the Indian system of, of learning and, and of, of deen. And it was very different. But I said, you know, while I'm here, I had always wanted to do, study the six books of Hadith, mm-hmm. the al-Hadith, because they don't do that um, very commonly in the Arab world. And they don't have a, a, a large network of madrasas or anything in, uh, in, the, in the Arab world where I am, except, you know, maybe in very, very few places. So I decided that while I'm here, pray to Stikhara, and I said, okay, I'd like to study the Hadith. It's the one thing I've, it's been my dream to study the Hadith. And they don't do that in the other system that I was exposed to. So I'd like to combine between the Arab and the, you know, uh, the Syrian and the um, Indian systems of knowledge. And so this is where, alhamdulillah, mm-hmm. I was able to, because of my past experience, alhamdulillah, they allowed me to, um, to study the Darat al-Hadith here. And I completed that, alhamdulillah, last, um, uh, last June. That was a big blessing, alhamdulillah. It was an amazing journey to be with the Prophet and, and the companions for an entire year. Uh, and, then, uh, and then now, recently, I've um, embarked on another specialization in Iftah. Uh, at the same institution. So um, that's where I am now, alhamdulillah.
0: Um, I, don't, I don't know if you know this, but how did Dar al end up in Trinidad? And, and um, I mean, I know they're all over the world, but like, how did it end up there? And is there a Muslim community there? for like there to be Dar al
1: Very vibrant Muslim community. So they, that is another thing that's surprising, you know, because I'd always grown up, so I always knew that there were brown people in, in the West Indies, I mean the fact that you know, because the, the, I grew up in going to a temple where half of the people were Guyanese and half the people were Gujarati, so um, I didn't realize that you know that there was also a Muslim community in in the West Indies in this part of the Caribbean, and um, basically half of the people here on the island came uh, were descend- were are descendants of uh, former slaves that were brought by the British um, from um, from the African continent, and the other half are. Uh, indentured the the descendants of indentured laborers who came from India they were brought from India you know um, both both groups of people had to go through horrible things and live in horrible conditions. but when they, when emancipation happened and then afterwards as well, the indentureship uh, process was over, uh, they basically inherited this um, this island and um, and so both communities have lived coexisted side by side and it 's amazing because uh, everybody Lives generally well together, and even different religions live like very pleasantly among each other. So the mosque here, that it's like they they are adjacent to a um, a mandir, a Hindu temple, and they cooperate with each other, and you know, for you know, uh, very cooperative and stuff like that in terms of accommodating each other's parking on on special occasions and stuff like that. Even though it's two separate um, religious institutions uh, from two different religions, think you know, seemingly that they wouldn't be able to. You know, uh, be found in the same place. So it's there's a lot of um, that diversity, but also that harmony here, and uh, it's so I found it very nice because it's divorced from a lot of the poly- uh, political uh, bigotry that goes around in other parts of the world. Everybody's just here and chilling and relaxing, and you know, there's beaches. And at the same time, it's a very vibrant Muslim community. the The percentage is perhaps around the same as the uh, percentage of Muslims in India, and uh, they just they just yeah. So it's 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 but it's it's so vibrant that you might even start thinking that, they're, that, 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 um, that their numbers are actually higher than they are because <laughs> um, they've established schools. Like historically, you know, halal meat is quite established here. And they've had scholars coming for dawah over many decades. And that's where one of the people from here went to go study in India in the 70s, Mufti Shabil Ali Rahata Ali. And he came back and uh, founded the, he became a mufti and he came back and founded the Loom in the mid-80s. And that's how uh, the institution grew. And it's actually graduated a lot of people um, on that uh, dars Nizami Indian system and um, has basically filled the region with um, with uh, scholars. It's it's on the, yeah, so alhamdulillah. It was just interesting for me to combine or look, look at both systems of knowledge and uh, to kind of navigate between the differences as well, and the things that make it unique.
0: Yeah, yeah that's... Really interesting point. Like, what makes it sort of unique from each other?
1: Uh, so, they're, they're two different groups, really. Like, in terms of like you know, they're two different groups, and um, and their ex- their historical experiences, uh, I think, really dictate the type of Islam that they're teaching. So, um, the Arab, uh, the kind of traditional Islam in in Syria, Jordan, that those areas, um, has been ex- they've been exposed to. You know, multiple uh, schools of thought, for example. So they've kind of had to uh, balance between different schools of thought. They've had a different relationship. Uh, being in m- predominantly Muslim countries, they've had a they've had a generally more flu like fluid relationship with, between spirituality, law, and theology. And um, whereas in the Indo-Pak subcontinent, this is from my assessment. You know, and I'm I'm, a, I'm a Indian history buff.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
1: Uh, you know, I, I I've tri- I've I feel that their their colonial experience and the post-colonial experience um, made made them quite um, have to be quite conservative in order to feel like they're preserving their tradition, especially post eighteen um, fifty seven India, where after a failed mutiny, what they what they call the mutiny or the war of independence, they decided in order to preserve their tradition they're gonna have to make a mother system and And there's a loss of power there for Muslims after the Mughal Empire falls, and so they kind of um, uh, they kind of close up a little bit in some ways in order to protect their tradition, and um, that that has an impact on the rest of the uh, rulings and the way that you see certain things. So that's why there's a highly there's you know it's it's a very uh, visible, highly practicing uh, group uh, where you know they didn't have as many different schools of thought mixing around, and so. Everything is very predominantly Hanafi. That's that's a, that's, a, that's a big difference, um, and uh, and then as well, I would say um, they also lived in the context of being a minority uh, in the midst of a you know uh, the larger uh, population of, of the dominant religious community, and so they a lot of their uh, again their rulings and stuff are built around preserving that identity, that Muslim identity. And uh, when there's a loss of power, how do you live as a minority? And that influenced, I think, a lot of their um, their outlooks on things. So, it, But that also is what that kind of um, conservative approach is also what allowed them to then take their approach out to other countries and far-flung parts of the world and start the madrasa system there as well. And um, and establish things like schools and maktabs and um, halal meat and the kind of things that you need to make a community function on its most um, you know rudimentary levels to start a, start the idea of community that was their version of it so it's it's just like it's just a different system you have to kind of like sit and appreciate it and understand why certain things are the way they are with different groups of people and I've I've benefited from looking at that
0: thank you that's really interesting. You said that uh, studying the Hadith books was like a dream of yours. Um, what, what made it so appealing to you? So for me, um,
1: I, I've have always wanted to know. Like for me, the thing that um, convinces me about Islam is the Prophet peace be upon himself. Like it's, it's something that always drew me to the Deen, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and the way he was, the way he the way he knew how to deal with people. Um, not only the things that he's predicted in the future, many, many things that he described about how things, the way things would be, but the, the way of life that he taught us, you know, in every single generation and age, you can actually apply that and, and live a very, very wholesome and good life. And um, what he went through, it was something for me that was, I, I felt embarrassed, like, how is it that um, I have a prophet and he's the best prophet, the best of creation, and I'm not even bothering to figure out what he said. I felt that that was very um, strange because, you know, you, you read, you read the Quran in Arabic, you know, you've tried to read it every Ramadan and then you go through it, you know, but um, I'm like, how, how is it that there are books of where my Rasul said something and I have not bothered to open that and, and just how, how can I even sleep? I, I feel bad about this even up to now. Like, how can I sleep when there's something he said that's in that book? And so it is, it's, it's a feeling of, you know, you know, it was like a feeling of love. I said, like, you know, I need to, I need to find out more about him. And, um, and that, that's where I said, you know, I need to I need to read the hadith because, as they said, you know, there's there's a line of poetry that they say, um, what, how does it how does it go? hadithum wa illam sahibu sahibu. That the people of hadith, the people of hadith, are the companions of the prophet, because even if they didn't keep company with his person, they keep company with his breaths, meaning the things that he says. So you do really feel like you're walking every morning. You walk into a garden in which the Rasulullah is sitting there, and all the companions are sitting around him. And when you read different books of Hadith through different chapters as well, you begin to see a much a very holistic picture. And in your mind, you know, you just uh, you see all the different figures, you know, coming coming on stage for different things at different times, saying different things, and um, their lives as well become so much more. You know, uh, different chapters reveal different things about them. So um, I really felt like it was, it was kind of a type of bliss, actually, to be honest. Um, and yes, well, I'm, I'm sad it's over, but everything has to, you know, you still have to continue, but you continue a lifelong journey of exploring what the Prophet, peace be upon him, said and who his, what his character was like, what he taught us, and, and then also applying that back to the Quran now. So those sources are always something I, I, you know, I want to keep in touch
0: with. And then I am assuming you stayed uh, in touch with Sheikh Raz uh, throughout this entire journey. Um, how did you start teaching with seekers, and what has that experience been like?
1: So I think, I think yeah, I've been I've always been in touch with Sheikh Raz to ask his advice on different things. Um, briefly, uh, I I I probably st- briefly we studied online, in, in small groups. Um, but other than that, um, what what I really appreciate is that very early on I came on uh, like a teaching assistant. Mm-hmm. And the idea of um, practicing to research, that was something that I really have to thank him for. Um, That system really helped me to uh, get into the idea of looking at people's problems and looking at people's questions. And even though I wasn't necessarily at a a level at that time to independently answer, but, you know, you try to find an answer for something and then you get it checked and approved. And and that was a very good training process that could be done at a distance. And so that was invaluable for me. Um, as well as uh, the I- idea of uh, being a TA where like, there's a course happening and you're helping um, different students who are different parts of their journey as well. And so that keeps you in a loop, uh, in, you know, what they call it, you're, you're, you're in a knowledge-based employment, you know, or, you know, it's a voluntary um, at first. And then as time went by, then they needed, you know, I had an interest in Sira. Um, that was my, one of my kind of like pet subjects that i really liked and um uh that's where um I, it was asked hey do you want to do you want to design a serial CO course for us and that was a good kind of first venture into uh teaching and uh course design and research so that was many years ago now um and uh, that's how that's how it started out
0: i have one last question Shall we can close with this um what advice would you give to like your younger yourself that um Uh, you know, just taking the shahada, but really wants to learn more, wants to study, um, what advice would you give to um, someone in that situation?
1: What I would say is that you've got a great journey ahead of you. Inshallah, you know, try to be as sincere as possible and ask Allah for guidance. Um, uh, And uh, you will stumble along the way, but Allah will carry you if you put your trust in him. And it's a wonderful journey ahead. And um, if you find that calling and that inspiration throw yourself into it headlong follow the way of the heart and look at teachers who when you look at them you would think that this person is an exemplary human being and then um you know for allah's sake um pursue with the with the intention to please allah and serve allah and through that to serve your serve the creation all creation muslim non-muslim everyone and um it's a wonderful journey ahead and you'll have no regrets inshallah and um, try to take the best means by consulting people who've done it before you. That's the be- one of the best things you can do. And also be intelligent about your, um, your, quote unquote, worldly uh, requirements in life, your education, your, your job, your relationship with your parents. So these are all things that are we call them worldly, but they're actually, when you're dealing with them through Islam, they're, they're spiritual. And, um, and so if you, you know, do things in the, with, try to do things with the best of means, um, do things with consultation, and pray istikharah a lot, ask Allah for guidance and uh, and go, go ahead with full trust in Him because this path and this journey, you know, as um, as I guess, uh, as many shortcomings as I have through this, I, one thing is I don't have any regrets. It's it, it's the cause of the greatest happiness to be at least in the environment of people who love Allah and His Messenger So that's uh, all the best to everyone who has that intention, inshallah, and start small. So start with your local resources. Um, you know, you've got seekers online, you know now there's no there's no reason that you can't uh, you know study a lot locally where you are and take advantage of the scholars that are around you and then build up relationships with uh, you know different teachers that you have in terms of getting their advice on things and keep an open mind as well because you don't know if your your uh, you know at your develop your understanding will develop and you may not always be on the same mentality within Islam um, for the entire time so get ready for the fact that you you know you're going to learn things will change. Things will develop focus on the on your character and on your spiritual life as much as you focus on the outward things um but uh give everything its due right and then inshallah um let the let the let allah lead you forward as you intend to um pursue him through seeking knowledge
0: beautiful thank you so much thank you for your advice and for sharing your story it's it beautiful yeah. to listen to
1: well thank you very much for having me Alhamdulillah and for letting me you know Spill out my thoughts For the first time <laughs> On In an extensive way Alhamdulillah, <laughs>
0: Alhamdulillah. JazakAllah Take care <laughs> Allah, <Thanks>. Allah. <laughs>